wow, I'm in Converse. And I remember thinking, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so not qualified for this job. I'm an imposter. They're going to find me out. And my recruiter even said to me, don't unpack your bags. You won't be there that long. So I was like, okay. So, so when you become a CMO, you, you got to know going in that you're going to get fired. And that the final two words on the last page of the book says you're fired. So you have a moment where you, once, once you embrace that, the only thing you can be is courageous. So we're joined this week by Jeff Cottrell, and and this was awesome. I was I was actually running late to this. I think you were texting Jeff, and he and he headed back in his car so we could all hop on this. And and it turned out to be one of the best episodes so far. I mean, this guy's marketing background is is pretty uh, amazing. He, he has Coke, he has Starbucks, he has Converse on the resume, Mullen Low, and and all at you know executive levels. And and the thing I loved about Jeff is just his humbleness. He's completely down to earth. You can tell right away. It's like you just want to trust him. And he's honest. And he brings that into the boardroom. And I find that so immeasurable when you're trying to steer a brand. And one of the things he said is like, as a CMO, you're going to get fired anyways. So you might as well go in there and take some risk. The fact that he's been at Converse and Coke and Starbucks. um, So he's seen it all but um, he's not afraid to be himself. Like that one story, he tells one story on the episode about him giving a presentation and, and, uh, and what he should wear. And he actually shows up wearing what you'd think you should wear. And then he's like, this is so not me. Um, so I just love how real he is. I love that he puts things in perspective the way that he does. He's, he's just an expert in like laying out the contextual realities of who's first and, and, and the customer's obviously gonna be that person. Um, and some great stories from, from an interview that he had, right? I'm like, is he going to go for it? Have you ever really gone for it? How great was that, that, that little bit? This is awesome. I mean, it, it just will give you the confidence boost that you need. And the fact that everybody is dealing with the same issues inside their head and how to get through those. And, and the fact that he had some great mentors. I think this is a really good listen for those of you that may struggle at times with speaking up and having your own voice heard. Just a super all-around guy, really approachable. And I think, I think we keep a conversation on the hour, and you're right, like, I learned so much from just listening to how he's navigated those big, bad corporate rooms by staying himself. So take a listen. Jeff Cottrell, what's up, man? Not much, man. How's it going? Good to see you. I just heard you crack something open. What'd you crack open? I cracked open a sparkling water. Um, I'm just finishing my Diet Coke, and uh, I thought I needed a side drink. I was gonna, I was, you know, where I was going with that question. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not, not beer, not yet. It's not five o'clock yet. <laughs> hey, but it is Friday. It is Friday. It is Friday, and I am taking some time off, so there's no reason why it shouldn't be a beer. <laughs> Lo- love to talk more about the time off, but like just to set the stage, it, it, and I think this is as much for 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 my co-host Ryan as it is anybody else. So Jeff Cottrell, I mean, you're an award-winning CMO. You've been a president. You've been a general, uh, general manager, board member. You've worked with some of the biggest, most iconic brands on the planet, Coca-Cola, Converse, Starbucks, P&G, did some hospitality time as well. 
The thing I like the most, Jeff, is that when you actually do your homework and properly stalk you, the the comment that comes out is like, is he straight up cool? Like, oh gosh, I don't know about that. That's a huge compliment. I, I don't think I would ever refer to myself as as cool. I would prefer, refer to myself, and you can ask both my daughters. I'm probably one of the biggest dorks on the planet. <laughs> why, why do people keep saying you're straight up cool, though? Come on, give it to us, dude. I don't. I don't know. I. I. Uh, man, I. I just try to be good to people and try to do things. You know, I'm. A, I'm a lifelong serial marketer that hates marketing, and. Um, and. I hate the way we're supposed to do marketing. So I don't do it that way. And I think as a result, I've made a lot of friends because we've done some, you know, some fun stuff. And I, man, I've been fortunate. I've met some really great people in my life who have, who are responsible for me sitting here today. How first, how old are the daughters? I have a uh, 22 year old daughter and okay. I have a 24 year old daughter. So we're recent empty nesters. My 24-year-old daughter works in Boston for an agency and is a producer and is like on the way to becoming like amazing, an amazing producer. And then I've got a 22-year-old who is a musician. Uh, who's he doesn't had, know. He doesn't know, Jeff. You have to tell him. He doesn't know. She, I have a, a musician daughter who's had a couple of pretty good years. <laughs> He's and, me right now like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I can. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But No, no, it's okay. How much, uh, how much of your work did you run by your girls growing up? Uh, it's funny. They were always kind of around with a lot of the stuff I was doing and they, they, you know, it's funny, man. My, my kids are so much smarter than I am and, uh, they're, they're just good people. So they'll, they'll, they always just sort of kept me grounded, I think is the greatest thing. Anytime my feet would ever start to float off the ground and I would think for a second, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm something, you know, it'd always be like a gentle little tug to be like, Hey, you know, like, let's keep your feet on the ground. And I, I'm grateful to my wife and to both girls for, for, for that, for sure. Yeah. That's special. I, I know about that. Family can definitely keep you, <laughs> keep you on the ground. Wait, I, I'm curious. You said I'm a marketer that hates marketing. What does that mean? <laughs> um, so I uh, think, you know, we're all conditioned to, to market as marketers a certain way. And, you know, for the most part, it's still, even though you, the, you know, the cliche anytime you meet, you know, these days is we're not going to start with it. Let's not start with the ad, but then every conversation you wind up having always comes around to what's the ad going to look like. And I'm a firm believer that advertising is a great tactic in the marketing toolkit, but like, it's not the only one. And uh, I just, I guess when I say I hate marketing, I just hate lazy marketing. Uh, lazy marketing is, you know, writing a brief and then uh, creating an ad and then buying some media. Like it should be a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more fun than that. So, um, so that's, why, that's why I say that. I, I just don't subscribe to, you know, what the business schools teach about what marketing is or is, should or should not be. Do you think, Everybody in marketing, not everybody, but most in marketing, like are lazy or the process of getting to good stuff sort of just eventually erodes great stuff. Yeah. I mean, I am a marketer. So I am, when I talk about marketers, I want to make sure that I'm being clear that I'm in the pool. Um, I don't think that we're generally lazy. I think it's not laziness. I think it's a sense of entitlement 
that gets in marketers way. And let me explain what I mean by that. We, we get up in the morning and we think to ourselves that whatever brand that we're working on is pretty important. Like it's, it's inherent that I get up and I work for this brand and I stand up straight and my brand is important. And if we're really honest with ourselves and with each other, there aren't that many brands that are really all that important right? In the way that the brand people think, think they are. So I think part of it is just getting up in the morning and assuming that people care about what it is you have to say and forgetting that they don't really care what you have to say. And um, you've got to get up and earn it. And you got, you should come from understanding what it is they want to hear and how they want to hear it versus, you know, I'm going to run a big ad campaign. Darn it. Yeah. I think, I mean, we're talking, I, we're talking about context, obviously, right? And, and like, I, you know, that whole uh, content is king. I would say, I would say, I agree with you. Context is king. Like, nobody exactly. wakes up and just can't wait to see your ad. There's like a huge line outside the door to see your ad come out live on the Super Bowl. Although Super Bowl, yeah. if anywhere, people do want to see ads. So, yeah, but I mean, no one got up this morning and as they were stretching in bed, thought to themselves, man, I hope Ford Motor Company puts a new video on YouTube today, right? I mean, I mean you can insert any brand name there. Um, but like, that's just not the way it works. But the brand people are like, tomorrow we launch our YouTube video. And you're like, mm, okay. I mean, how do you convince them? I mean, because you're right. Like we work on these things for 60 hours a week, 80 hours a week. And we do love our little children called marketing and brands. But how do you yeah. go about convincing marketers that like the world doesn't see it the same way? Well, I think you think about, you have to really, you know, I mean, look, first and foremost, you know, your job as a marketer is twofold. One, inside the conference room, you're the voice. You're, you're the person standing up for the consumer. You shouldn't be the person in the conference room thinking about what you're going to do to the consumer, right? And then second, you got to come at things from their perspective not yours. You know, I always used to say, just because we can advertise to people on their mobile phone doesn't mean we should. Just because we can interrupt them as they're walking down the street doesn't mean that we should. But we often forget about the we should part. We think, well, we can, therefore we're going to, you know, kind of a thing. So that's interesting. And I think right on, um, how, do you, how do you get them to care? How do you get the consumer uh, to care? Well, I think you have to first kind of care about them. Like, like you have to show that you care about them. So let me explain. Um, so um, if we're at a dinner party, right. Or, or um, I bust into a dinner party and I stand on the table and I start screaming things about myself um, and you're enjoying the dinner party and you're looking around and you're in a deep conversation with somebody and you look at me like, who is that? And if you're the host, you're like, that person's never coming back to my house again. <laughs> but, right? Like, you, I walk in, I'm here. You must hear what I have to say. Excuse me, I know you're talking, but like, I got something to say. And by the way, what I'm going to say is all about me. And then I want you to do something for me at the end. Okay? Like, let's do it this way. And you'd be oh, like, do we just become best friends or yeah, what? I, right. We, you would be incredibly irritated. And, um, but that's what we do. That's what we do. We enter every conversation with, Hey, 
let me, let me tell you how much I care about you. I mean, like, let's talk about for a second, all of the COVID advertising, the car companies that are telling me we're in this together and that they'll deliver a car to my house. And that like, at the end, you know, they're going to give me free 0% financing for five years. I'm like, dude, it's the middle of a pandemic and I'm worried about my family and you are not in this with me. You're trying to sell me a car and you're using this, this as your way in with me. And it's pathetic how many brands have run exactly the same spot with basically the same narrative with different casts and characters and different products. I'm tired of brands telling me that they care about me. Um, cause they really don't. Cause like, if you cared about me, you would like really understand where, where we are right now. So it's, it's been a bit, for me, it's been a bit disappointing. Yeah. It's we like can, a pan- we can do better. We so. absolutely can. No, I, I was going to say it's like a pandemic in business mm-hmm. and just the way people are being treated within companies and brands and the way you're treating all of the consumers and people that are supposed to be in love with the brand. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, how do you, how do you approach that in the boardroom, right? I've sat in these meetings. I've sat in the group think on both sides, on the client and agency side. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure, right? There's a lot of nonverbal stuff going on in those rooms and it takes, I mean, this is a podcast about courage. It takes courage. Yeah. And it, how do you, I mean, you're going to stand out on a ledge sometime to do that, right? And you're going to have a lot of disagreement in the room. How do you create, one, how, how do you approach that? And two, then how do you create belief and get people to follow the right path? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm in, first and foremost, I mean, if you get to know me, I'm incredibly passionate about the consumer, whoever that consumer may be. And I'm incredibly passionate about making sure that their voice and their perspective is considered in the process. I know that when I come to work every day that I have a, a, uh, an objective that I have to meet. I have to grow 5% or I have to grow 10%. And the, the issue that I often see is that people mistake 5% growth and they call it a goal. And I would say that 5% growth is a result, that our goal is to, you know, deeply understand and serve our consumers. And to, so I constantly preach let's not think about that. Let's think about that as a result. If we do what we were supposed to do the right way, we'll get five, 10, 15, 20, whatever the growth number is at the end of the day. But that's a result. And if that's your goal, you're going to mechanically do things with the pricing, promotion, positioning, all that kind of stuff that get you to the 5%, but don't really build you long-term equity, long-term love with, with, with the brand. So first and foremost, I, I, I've always I'm always, I always try to be that voice. And, you know, and, and a little trick that I often pull in meetings is I will purposely uh, at the, right as the meeting starts, I will find an empty chair and sort of slide it next to me. And, you know, no one will, will sit there because everyone's already seated. And at the end of the meeting, I will say, hey, I just want to ask everyone a question. Let's just imagine just for a second that during this last hour meeting that we just had, that one of our consumers was sitting in this chair right next to me. And she heard everything that we said. First, she heard how we talk to each other, how we don't really respect and listen to each other. Two, you know, like how little, if at all, we talked about her. 
And then really the things that we just spent the hour talking about. And then do you think she'd ever buy anything from us again? Right? Because we didn't even like, she's right here. And we didn't even acknowledge her. No one even said the word consumer. No one even said about like what is important to her. And that's a problem if you're trying to run a business that is supposed to be serving consumers. You can run a business and just sell things, right? Yeah, got it. Good. You can do that, but it's not going to last forever unless you start showing some level of empathy and care for, for the people you're trying to do business with. Empathy is a big one. It's, it's yeah. a big one personally, you know, and all the people we talk to and, and just managing the internal voice in your head, right? Yeah. Being nice to yourself, being empathetic to others, putting yourself in other people's shoes. I mean, I think you have some wonderful analogies, first of all. So I think, I think that gives a lot of context, like Berman was talking about. I want to go back to something you said earlier. You said, you said you're good to people, which I think is like such a great starting place for a relationship. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've not always been good every day, all day. Sure. I've made mistakes, but I generally just try to like, you know, I, I guess I'm fortunate. I've got really, really good parents that taught me to treat everybody kind of the same. So I don't, I don't care if you're the CEO or, or a brand new person that started yesterday. Um, I'm going to kind of be the same to you and try to treat you hopefully the way, you know, that, you know, that I would want to be treated. I know that sounds cliche, but it's, it's important that, that I think we do that. What do you think that does to the team environment and that dynamic when you, when you come from that approach, when you assume positive intent, when you're supportive, when, when you show character with your peers, those below you, what, what does that do to the team environment? Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's not, a, it should be more common than it is in today's business world. So I think initially when as it starts to take shape, you find uh, you'll get people that buy in early and then you'll get people that are a bit suspicious, right? What, what is going on here? Am I being manipulated somehow? And I think once everybody sort of gets to the understanding that, you know, we're all trying to move in the same direction and, and, and do it together, then it, then it starts to, to sort of, I think, you know, loosen up a little bit. But again, I go always go back to the the consumer and what it is we're we're trying to do. You know, at, when I you know, I used to work at Converse years years four or five years ago, and um, you know, we were had been in and out of bankruptcy a couple of times, and we were rebooting a hundred year old company, and we were a, like a heritage basketball brand, and that's what we were determined to be was a heritage basketball brand until we started asking consumers, like, hey. You know, what, what do you think about Converse? Hey, you know, we're, Converse is turning 100. And, and kids were like, okay. And we're like, no, no, I mean, 100. I mean, we're turning 100. That's, that's, that's a pretty, pretty big deal. And they're like, yeah, right on, whatever. And then we come back a third time and say, seriously, like, we want to talk about this thing one more time because, like, we're really proud of our 100th birthday. And this kid looks at the moderator and says, yo, you keep telling me how old you are. I'm just going to think you're old. And it's one of those moments where you're like, okay, we shouldn't be thinking about what we want to do right now. We should be thinking about what that kid just said, <laughs> right? Because we can try to shove a hundred years down this kid's throat, but this kid isn't, isn't having any of it. He doesn't care. Um, he doesn't care that we're hundred. So it's just things like that. It's just opening up and, and like thinking maybe if you ask the consumer that they will often tell you, they'll give you the answer. Like it's that simple. I mean, 
it is that simple. Like they don't care. Like and and like finding what they care, and you you kind of rattle off the four, you know, the, the the old four P's of marketing, right? Product, price, place, and promotion. It's like, well, okay, what about like preference? Yeah. Like where did that P go in the yeah. mix? Like one of the lines that we're playing around with, and and Ryan, you'll keep me honest here because we haven't actually shared this with anybody. Is like, stop your bullshit, start your bold shift. Yeah. And like, like, why is there so much bullshit? Like, wh- like, why, why is there all the stuff in the way of just keeping it real and caring? And it does start on the inside because, like, the choices that are making on the inside are reflecting what you're putting out in the outside world. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, the bigger corporations get, the more there's change on brands, constant churn, people trying to prove their their worth and their difference, and you know, that's why you, you know, it's hard to keep continuity on a brand now because the 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 players behind it shift shift so much. So, I mean, you have a lot of people that are trying to make a career and prove themselves. And, and I think sometimes you, you, you miss the, you know, the, the other, the other P is to me is personal. Like, hmm. you know, let's make this more personal. And, and uh, you know, some people will debate that with me that, you know, it's hard to make marketing personal these days. Um, but, but I still think you should be thinking about it. Like there's an actual person that's going to, that's going to buy this. Let, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a, a, a quick example. Let's say that you're working at your big company, like giant big company, whatever big company, is, and I won't name any. And a million teenagers decided through social media that they were going to come to visit your office. And uh, you didn't know it. And, and, and they get there and they're not mad which is surprising, right? You're like, whoa, you're not mad at a big corporation and they're not carrying signs and they're not angry at all. But you're in the tower of your big company and they're outside your gates and they're looking up at you and they're going. So we would be hypothetically in a conference room looking at each other going, what? Well, first of all, what the heck is going on? Why are all these people here? Second, like uh, they want someone to come down and talk to them. Then we would look at each other and say, okay, um, uh, I'm not going to do it. And who's going to, you do it, you know? And then it's then, okay, I got picked. And then from the conference room to the elevator, I would be saying, what the heck am I going to say? Oh my God. And I would get down to the gates and most, if you play it out, how most brands would typically handle a situation like that, you play it out. I would grab a giant screen and a ladder and I'd climb on the ladder and I'd hold the screen up and I'd show you an ad. Right. And, the million people would be like, what? You have a chance to talk to me and like, that's all you got? And I would argue as you think through that scenario, and it's, of course it's never going to happen, but if it does, and you were the one picked to go and stand in front of those people, what would you say? And, and I would challenge anybody to say there's only one thing that you could say, and that would be thank you. It would be, do you see this beautiful building that I get to work in? You guys paid for this. I went on vacation last month with my family to, to the beach. And you know what? Had you not bought our products, I wouldn't have been able to go. So I'm grateful to you for being here today. Now, what can I get you? What can I do for you? But we don't think that way as marketers. We think there's a million people, ha <laughs> I got them. Let's geofence them and, you know, throw all the buzzwords at them and then let's just shoot an ad at them. 
And then we wonder why people don't care about our brands. Like it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing. To me, marketing is not that hard. We overcomplicate it, but it's, it can be broken down into simply simple little things. So I'll stop talking. Sorry. Yeah, I was like, oh, I would listen. Wait, that wasn't one of the options to, to stand on the ladder. And look, like, why is everybody here? I, I guess I should be listening. They clearly want something from me, right? That's exactly right. Right. That's All why right, we get along so well. Let, let's, let's rank, let's rank uh, since this is a show about courage, let's rank the Jeffs. We're gonna we're gonna do a quick exercise. We're gonna rank the different Jeffs. There's Coca-Cola Jeff, there's Converse Jeff, there's Starbucks Jeff, and we'll say P and G Jeff, which is I know where I think you started. Did you start at P and G? I did. I did. Yeah. So like in terms of one, um, which Jeff do you like the most? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, so I've I've kind of tried to be the same Jeff all the way through. And I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer, but, uh, but, and I, and I will answer your question. I think uh, if I had to rank uh, courage from one to 10 P and G, I was like a one. I wasn't courageous. I was afraid. I was nervous. I didn't know what I was doing and they have a very structured way of doing things. And if you get outside the box, they're very polite. Hey, I really like your initiative, but like, get back in that box. Don't do that again. That's the way, this is the way we do it. And you, you, you learned like, man, that's a, the best place in the world to learn. But like at the time I was there, it wasn't, they weren't really up for people who like had a little bit of a weird creative mind. So no courage there. First stint at Coke. I was, you know, kind of knocked upside the head by a couple of people that I worked for that opened my head up and taught me how to be courageous. So I'd say that was about a five. Uh, Starbucks, maybe, maybe a six or seven. I've gotten better and better. And then Converse was probably as, as, as courageous and as confident, uh, as I'd been. And then, you know, I went out to agency and, and back to Coke. So I've gotten more courageous, uh, over the years. If you had to rank uh, one, I mean, I'm just going to, it sounds like still Converse. But it was uh, like- yeah, I mean, we've, I mean, there've been courageous moments everywhere. Um, you know, I mean, we, we brought back new Coke, uh, at, for the Netflix uh, Stranger Things program. So that, great. I love that. That was like, you know, when you're at Coca-Cola and, you know, that's something that we didn't really talk about very often was, was New Coke. It was always just sort of, oh, don't talk about that. And the fact that we as a company faced our failure and brought it back out as a culture statement as part of one of the most popular shows on Netflix was, I think, a courageous thing for us to do as a, as a company. So I'm proud that I was part you know, part of that, but yeah. Can you talk more about that? Like, first of all, what was that like on the inside? Like, where did that conversation come from the first time? Are you like, this is a, ter- is this a wait, is this a terrible idea? Or is this a great idea? Yeah. Well, it, you know, I'd like to say it came from us and that we were like, you know, geniuses, but we had been trying to figure out how to work with Netflix for about a year. And uh, the person from Netflix called and said, you know, basically, are you sitting down? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He goes, no, no, I really, I mean, I really need you to sit down. And, uh, and he said, we just came from a meeting, a production meeting, a marketing meeting with the Duffer brothers, who are the creators of Stranger Things. And season three is 1985. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, hey, I graduated from college in 1985. Like, that's, that was my comment. And he's like, yeah, and you know what happened in 1985? There was a kind of a big deal at your place. And uh, I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> not gonna happen no 
And he's like, all right, well, we just wanted you to, you know, consider it. And then our head of entertainment marketing was kind of the same, like, hey, you know, we should consider this. And then, you know, five minutes after you heard the idea, you, you walked around your office and you're like, we have to do this. Like, we, we have to do this. And, uh, and then everybody you talked to in the building, and we, not everyone knew about it, but everyone you talked to, their first reaction was, no way. And then five minutes later, it's like, that's a really good idea. We should do that. So uh, it was a little bit of, I mean, I think it was a very courageous thing on behalf of the Coca-Cola company to face its biggest public failure and, and uh, you know, do it in a, in a culturally relevant way. So it was cool. I mean, isn't that kind of what life is about is, or at least what the human experience is about is just learning. Yeah. I mean, you sure. try something and you learn from it, right? For sure. And I think, um, you know, you give a lot of credit to the CEO of Coca-Cola, James Quincy, because like he, he didn't even blink when we asked him. He, he didn't even say, he didn't say, well, that's a bad idea. He said, do it. You should do, we should do that. And we were like, oh, Wow. This is, a, this is a new Coca-Cola company. Like it is a, a, a company that's going to be on the front foot. So it was, a, it, was, it was great. But yeah, you're right. You learn, you learn by your mistakes. I mean, you know, I make 25 of them a day. Was there any, like, what could you say, like what results came from this so far that you've seen? Uh, I don't know that I can talk about specific volume and share results and all that. But I mean, we, we drove over 3 billion PR impressions in the first 24 hours when we announced wow. it. It was a pretty big ripple effect so you know for you know sometimes you do things to get to kind of make a ripple in culture and have people take notice of like hey you you know there's a you know because most teenagers and young adults today had no idea that even happened so we had to find a way to even explain the story behind it you know people our age you know we're, we're at least my age i'm older than you guys for, we're familiar with you know what what happened so yeah so, yeah, I mean, there's been lots of moments when you have to be courageous. And I think, you know, when, when you become a CMO, um, you, you know, you quickly realize, I'll, I'll never forget when I, when I, my first CMO role was, was at Converse. And I remember getting there and I remember my first day looking around my office thinking, wow, this is a big room. This is cool. Like, wow, I'm at Converse. And I remember thinking, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm so not qualified for this job. I'm an imposter. They're going to find me out. And my recruiter even said to me, don't unpack your bags. You won't be there that long. So I was like, okay. So, so when you become a CMO, you, you got to know going in that you're going to get fired and that the final two words on the last page of the book says you're fired. So you have a moment where you, once, once you embrace that, the only thing you can be is courageous, right? Or you I mean, you can just sit on your hands and, you know, wait till they come and get you. Um, but, or you can like go for it. And that's what we did. That's what we did at Converse. We had the permission to, to go for it. And I always knew how the story was going to end, but I didn't care how the story was going to end. The, 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 sometimes the, the middle parts of the book are the most interesting. It's never the last page. That's the most interesting. It, it's, it is interesting. And, you know, CMOs, have the shortest tenure on the C-suite. Um, yep. We all know that data point. How do you get to that place in your career where you don't care, you have enough experience or knowledge, you have enough faith in yourself, faith in your team, 
to get to the place where you actually take courageous action and, and start making things happen in a brand. I mean, obviously coming in new, you have to build, you know, some trust to do that. But yeah, the interesting thing there is, I mean, we keep hearing this theme about the imposter syndrome, right? With lots of leaders. I mean, I went through it. Yeah, I, I know a whole bunch of other leaders, they get put into a position. They're like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here, <laughs> but totally. everyone gets over it. Right. And everyone faces it. It's, it's just managing those mental notes in your head. But how do you get to the place where you have enough confidence to move something forward and try something, even if you might fail? You know, I, I don't, here's, here's how it happened to me. When I was interviewing for the job at Converse, I spent a day with all the Converse folks, and then I spent a day at Nike. Nike owns Converse. And I met with the old CMO of Converse, and, and he's this sort of Jedi mind trick guy. His name's Mike Wilski. He's like the most brilliant, one of the most brilliant people I've ever known. He sits down in the meeting, the interview, and he says, uh, is, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it because it was the strangest interview of my, of my life. He's like, uh, hey, okay, before we start, uh, I know a lot about you. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. He goes, I know a lot of people. I've talked to a lot of people about you. And they had a lot of things to say about you. And I was like, okay. And he goes, and before you start thinking about who I talk to, they're none of the people that you think I talk to. And I was like, oh, all right. All right, this is a little this is a little weird. And then he says, "Okay, so you're a you're a great marketer." And there's a there's a white styrofoam coffee cup that he's drinking from. And he goes, "This coffee cup, go ahead and explain it to me, sell it to me." And I kind of joking, I'm like, "You're kidding me, right? Like you're kidding me." And he goes, "Yes, I am kidding you." And I was like, "Oh, this is getting good." So then he says, "I have only one question to ask you." And I want the truth. And I said, okay. And he goes, have you ever gone all the way? And, you know, I'm a bit of a smart aleck sometimes. And I'm like, that's an inappropriate question. What are you talking about? And he goes, you know what I mean? You know exactly what I mean. I want to know if you've ever believed in something so much that you were willing to quit. You were willing to go all the way for it. And I tell you what, man, at that moment in my life, I still get goosebumps on my arms when I think about this moment because I, the only answer to that question is the truth. There's no interview answer for that question other than like, and I said, I'm ashamed to say that I, I have it. Oh my God. Oh my God. I have it. Oh my God. That's incredible. And he said, well, and I said, well, you know what? I, I, I will promise you that if I get this job that, that I will. And at that moment, he said, you're going to do great at this job. You just got this job. Honestly. And, and I was like, holy smokes. But then years later, I had to, I believed in something so much that, that I had to quit. I acted like I was four years old. And I like went in and threw a tantrum and quit. And uh, because they wouldn't let me do it. And then, um, and then they did let me do it because I said to them, you're going to fire me someday. I, I actually want this to be the thing you fire me about. And uh, so then I called this guy and I'm like, hey man, I did it. I did it. And he was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I, w- I went all the way. Awesome. He's like, he, he, and he says, he, literally, he says, uh, what, what are you talking about? And I'm like, dude, I like went all the way. Like, remember we talked? He goes, no, I don't know. I don't know what you mean. I'm like, Wilski, I like went all the way. And, and he goes, he starts laughing. He goes, I know what you mean. And he goes, uh, he goes, you know what's great about what you did today? 
it's just going to make it a little bit easier the next time you have to do it. Awesome. And then he hung up the phone and I was like, all I wanted was a way to go. And he just, he, he reminded me that sometimes you do, you just have to believe in yourself and in what you're doing and like, go for it. I mean, that's, that's why, how strongly I feel about courage. Like I really do feel that way about what we're trying to do and, mm-hmm. and uh, am committed to going all the way, even though it's absolutely terrifying because like, yeah. if you don't, you're going to get passed or someone else is going to pass you or, or like, uh, you know, pull a Ryan Berman string, like a line, a, one of my lines is like courage is regret insurance. Yeah. Like right. where, what are you going to regret? Like if you didn't, take that cut and i wish there was video by the way of like you storming into someone's office that we could watch and being like this is it this is the one or you I'm wouldn't be- i mean i shot my mouth off i like used inappropriate words i was so angry i'd just gotten back from a trip to china and uh like they'd swept my budget and i was like i'm going upstairs and i just went upstairs and went straight into a room and just lost it and that night when I told my wife, she was like, I'm sorry, what did you do? You quit? <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. It didn't, it didn't end that way. It ended, it ended a different way. But that is a factor. Like that's a very, very, that's not to be swept under the rug like that. You know, I always joke, you know, we live in, I live in San Diego and the chief home officer, the chief, probably the chief executive officer of our family, my wife has no interest in us leaving San Diego. And that does play that you have to take that into consideration when you decide to storm up to the top floor and let someone know actually what your belief system says because you're gonna have to go home and explain that decision even if it was the right decision in your heart and i guess my question is like we and we've covered this it's like where are you supposed to care where should you just never care like i don't care anymore this is how i feel versus i care about this because it's the right reason like Where's the line between those two worlds? I, I wish I could tell you that I knew where it was because I constantly, I think, cross, cross in the good and bad side of it. So I don't have a, a formula. I just think you have to sometimes, you know, believe in what you're doing, believe that you're, why you're there, you're there for your consumers and to do something. And, you know, I mean, look, man, we, we did lots of really interesting things at Converse. We built recording studios and we let artists record for free and they kept all their content and the artists would ask me like, what's the catch? And I would say, there's no catch. That's actually the catch. And they'd be like, what does that mean? And I'm like, Oh, I'm absolutely marketing to you right now. Just to be clear. I want you to love my shoes, but I'm not going to make you wear my shoes, but I'm going to do this nice thing for you. And hopefully someday you'll remember that. And uh, you know, and it worked. It worked. Talked a little bit about music and a little bit about culture. And it seems, um, I mean, music's a huge part of culture, obviously, and a, and a huge part of your family. And I'm just curious, like, how much influence that's had over your career and, and what it's done for you and how much you've weaved that into the campaigns and, and things that you've done and, and why. Why yeah. is music so important? Well, I mean, music is the most important passion in the world. You'll, I mean, you know, when you think about passion points for people, you, know, you can ask 100 people and, you know, 20 might tell you, I hate basketball. You know, you're like, okay, cool. Not everyone likes basketball. Uh, what about baseball? Well, not everyone likes baseball. What about football? Football's popular. Well, not everyone likes football. But no one will tell you, oh, God, I hate music. I just, oh, God, music, I hate music. So it's an enormous passion point for people. And the, the key is to try to figure out the way that you're, as a brand, working with artists to contribute something to the culture that you're living in. 
not just borrowing their coolness to sing and dance for you and their your commercial. So, I mean, yeah, I'm passionate about music and I have a, a, a child that's a music, a daughter that's a musician, but um, I haven't, you know, I was asked this earlier today. Oh, I guess you did all the music stuff at XYZ brand because you love music. And I'm like, I did all the music stuff at XYZ brand because our consumers loved music and they told us that was our, our way in with them. That's why we did it. I mean, did I enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed every single minute of it. Am I passionate about music? Of course I am. But like at the end of the day, you know, we didn't, I didn't employ music in every single tactic we did when I was at Coke because, you know, it wasn't right in some cases. So, so yeah, I mean, music's been good to me. I love music. I love the industry. I love, you know, I love the, I, I love artistic people because I think, I think artistic creative spirits to me are the most important people in the world. They're the most important people to be, protected and celebrated and elevated. And if it means uh, helping an artist along when they need help, it means uh, celebrating something that an artist has done, learning from an artist. I mean, you know, uh, as much as we, you know, professional athletes are amazing. They're amazing people that they, they do, but they rarely change the world. Um, but creative minds often are the ones that change the world, right? They're the ones that push us and think differently and, have the, the courage to see what hasn't been seen before. So, you know, my whole thing is my favorite thing in life is to be surrounded by, you know, ridiculously creative people and just, you know, see what happens. I would say that um, now more than ever though, athletes have a big opportunity, you know, no question. and, and, um, and I would say in, you know, even the, the way it's being marketed, they're being marketed as more creative than ever. I think they are. I don't think it's like a, like a fallacy. Yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah. real. Um, you know, it's really cool to see both of your daughters are in music. I mean, producer, I would still say music is a big part of that, right? Yeah, right. Um, and you sort of side skirted your younger daughter. Can you just just let's let's can you share a little bit of what she's up to and what she's doing? Uh, yeah, she's a, a musician. She's an independent artist. Um, her name is uh, Claire. She goes by the name Claro. I rarely talk about her or my relationship with her in public um so she's an incredibly bright creative kid and for the record i had absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with any of her success she has um earned it um she's worked super hard since she was about 13 her my wife her mom is the most creative person i know so it all comes from 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 that and i'm just the the I'm just the dad that goes in the corner off stage and cries every time I see her perform. Very intentional word choices through all that. And I understand that. I'm not going to probe anymore, but I thought it. No, well, I mean, I'll say that when she, when she broke, she, she recorded a video in her, in her room the, the summer before she went away to college and it exploded on YouTube. And then she started getting noticed by lots of people. And then immediately the internet trolls entered the picture and said that I bought her way into music and that the only reason she was getting this or that was because of me. And it hurt both of us a great deal because it wasn't true. And um, it was a very tough thing to do. So I try, I just, you know, I don't often talk about, about that other than the fact that, you know, truth crossed my heart. This, this young woman did it on her own. I mean, and, and we're extremely proud that she's done that. 
Maybe the only thing I would question is why Syracuse over Ithaca, as I'm wearing my Ithaca's gorgeous shirt. Obviously, Jason Deland's good buddy of both of ours was my college buddy. Uh, hey, let's talk really quickly about a lot of your time right now. You're sitting on boards. Yeah. Yeah. And like when I think about boards, it's kind of like parents who don't totally get what's going on with the kids who are running the company. Yeah. Right. They're like trying to parent from the top, but they don't have all the information. They don't totally know what's cool. But are you like the new cool kid that's sitting on boards? Like what's tell me about the relationship with other board members and like, what do you think about, like, how's it going? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, interested in music. I'm interested in music and technology that the intersection of that. And I've, you know, the last six months or so I've had a ton of people call me and ask me if I'd give them some advice. And so I become an advisor for, a handful of young up and, you know, up and coming music companies. And honestly, I'm just giving them advice only when they ask for it. And uh, I'm probably asking more questions because I'm learning about the startup world and what it takes and what the mindset is, but it's been, it's been really, really interesting. And then, you know, and I'm, I'm working on a, a, a board here in Atlanta to try to bring a Grammy museum to Atlanta to celebrate music from Georgia and music specifically from Atlanta and, you know, all different parts of Georgia. Georgia has a seriously rich history in music, not just historically, but also like currently. Um, so, you know, I'm doing that. I'm just, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. I'll go back to work at some point, but right now I'm just like enjoying learning new things from new people. Overall though, do you feel like, and maybe not like on the projects you're on right now, but, our boards, because I, when I think of courage and I think of groupthink and then I think of boards who may not totally have their finger on the pulse of, like like you said, culture or understand what's going on, like where are boards good and where are boards not so good? Well, I think boards can will hold, you know, hold the leadership and the management team of a company. I mean, I was a board member of Kempton Hotels for a number of years. Uh, I'm not a board member anymore because I don't have a board. We, we sold the company to IHG, IHG so the board dissolved, but I was on that board for, for a while. You know, there's a lot of uh, big investors, big real estate people, because the, the hotel games are really a real estate play. Um, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of talk about marketing and culture and a lot of talk about the consumer. And so I was a squeaky wheel in the room um, and, you know, enjoyed, in, enjoyed it. But yeah, people were like, what do you mean? What are you talking about experience? And I'm like, sorry, this place doesn't make money unless we deliver the most incredible experience and the gas keep coming back for, for, for more and more. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think often boards are just there to sort of police. I think in some major corporations, I'm not even sure board members are more in some cases for access to other things for a company. I think often that oftentimes, you know, XYZ board member also has this company or that company that, you know, the company can somehow do business with or something, but you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I just want to go back to the voice in the room. Yeah. And there's a lot of fear involved in that to actually like be the voice, say the things that need to be said. So, you know, before we close here, I'm just curious, like in, in your own head, are you managing any fear? Are you having a conversation in your head about, should I say this? Should I not say this? Is it important? Do you, do you, do you talk to yourself at all about what you said in the room after, or is it just, I'm putting it out there because this is the right thing to do. 
Uh, yeah, I don't, it's funny. I don't think about, I don't qualify it. I'm putting it out there or I, I just, you know, I say what I think. Um, and the older I've gotten and the more experience I've gotten, I'm, I'm supposed to do that. Um, so I say what I think. And, you know, sometimes it's the minority point of view in the room and sometimes, you know, people agree with it, but I'm, I'm never going to hold back on what I think. I mean, I'm, I'm normally, you know, in a, in a job, you're paid to do your job, but you're also paid to think. And uh, so I'm going to tell you what I think. Um, I learned a long time ago when I first got to Coke, I was in a meeting. I just come from P&G and I'll just tell this very quickly. I was in this meeting about Sprite and the NBA, 15 people in the meeting. I got there. I didn't say a word in the meeting. I just sat there like wide eyed listening to everything that was going on. The meeting ended and the person that was running the meeting is he was walking in the hall. I said, Hey, have you thought about, have you thought about this idea? And he said, what did you say? And I said, well, I have an idea. And he said, he stopped everyone in the hall and made him go back in the conference room. And uh, everyone sat down and he said, have you met the new guy, Jeff? He just came from P&G. I don't know if you met him, but he was just in the meeting with all of us. But he didn't say anything, you know, because he's new and he didn't really know anything. But, and then he grabbed me in the hall and he had an idea. And like, I figured we should get everyone back in the room so he could share the idea. And, uh, and then he didn't let me share the idea room he's like um listen you're gonna be 15 minutes late to your next meeting please make sure when you get to your meeting you tell them that this guy jeff didn't speak up in the meeting this guy took me up outside and said basically i pay you to speak up to say what you think if it's a good idea we'll do it if it's not we won't but i expect you to be you that is a wonderful gift and and the reason i asked that question is because we know a lot of people struggle with that, right? Just being the you, the personal you and the professional you and allowing that to happen, right? There's so many facades and guards and coping mechanisms and, you know, just getting over that hump of, of being afraid to, to just be yourself. And so you've had the luck of having, it sounds like a few great mentors or people who have given you candid feedback that have helped nudge you. Have you, have you continued to, to give that gift to others and, and help Absolutely. others along? And Absolutely. What does that look like? Well, one of the, I mean, I, there's still a number of people from Converse. There's a number of people from my old agency and a number of people from, from Coke that I still talk to on a very frequent basis. I mentor a couple of people, but, you know, and I always try to make myself available because I'm not here, like, I didn't get here on my own. Um, you know, I'm a public school kid from Tampa, Florida. I went to a public university you know, my pedigree is not great, but I've had a really good career because there've been a lot of really good people that have done things for me, taught me things, pulled me along, kicked me in the butt, patted me on the head, um, you know, that kind of stuff. And I just try to return the favor. Love it. Yeah. And again, Jeff, you taught us a lot today. You know, so like, yeah, <laughs> you know what? What, I, you know, what I heard was speak up, you know, keep it personal. Like, don't worry about how the chapter ends. It's going to say you're fired anyway. So you might as well go for it, right? And, and if you're going for it, uh, don't be afraid to go all the way, right? So can't thank you enough for giving us your time today. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how long you stay just doing board work, uh, you know, because I have a feeling you'll be doing something else pretty big pretty soon. And uh, okay. thanks so much for giving us your time. Hey, listen, it's been an honor. I, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate being asked to do this. And, 
super fun. Good to talk to you guys. And uh, let's do it again soon. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, see you, buddy. All right. See you later. Next week on the Courageous Podcast, we're joined by keynote speaker, Jay Bear. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment.